The rigors of the vacuum provide a constant challenge. You're listening to Western Worlds. Hello and welcome back for another conversation here on Western Worlds. My name is John Kissy and I'm coming to you this week as every week from the Centre for Planetary Science and Exploration here at Western University in London, Canada. The environment of space is a uniquely harsh and unforgiving one. The task of building machines that can survive and operate in the vacuum of space is challenging, involving the integrations of many different systems and disciplines. One system fundamental to all designs is the thermal system. This week we talked to Sylvain Vey, thermal engineer of the European Space Agency, about his career in space engineering and the requirements for engineering thermal systems for so many different spacecraft. Let's go to the interview. Okay, first of all, thanks very much for uh, speaking to us, Sylvain. Maybe you could start by telling us what your your current position is. Okay, so my uh, current position is uh, thermal engineer at uh, the European Space Agency. Uh, and uh, I work for uh, two specific projects, which are the MetUp uh, program, MetUp first generation and MetUp second generation. Excellent. Let's start a little bit. So sort of at the beginning, maybe you can tell us a bit about your background, where you're from, and maybe tell us a little bit about why you chose to get into thermal engineering. I um, actually originate from uh, Lyon in France. I uh, studied uh, there um, for two years uh, physics, like theoretical physics basically. And then I um, decided to move into more practical uh, studies for a more practical job later on. So then I moved into some master engineer, uh, master's degree of engineering, mechanical engineering, in Lyon again, for which uh, I uh, I did three years of studies. I uh, actually uh, graduated uh, as a mechanical engineer in 2003. And then following this uh, degree, I actually went uh, to Marseille in the south of France to do another master's degree about air and space technology. And um, right from the beginning, I have to admit that I was always a bit interesting with uh, space and what happens in space. So when I was doing the theoretical physics at the very beginning of my studies, I was interested to try to work for astronomy um, in the astronomic field, let's say. Um, it, uh, and then investigating the path that were possible to, to go into that direction and to work into space, I decided that I was more fitted, uh, fitted to work uh, in engineering and then uh, space engineering, basically. So all, all, all the courses, the educational courses, is really focused to try to get to work into the space uh, engineering field. Um, in my last uh, master's degree, when I was uh, in the air and space technology degree, I actually um, had to do a traineeship um, of six months, which I uh, managed to get at the European Space Agency in the thermal engineering section there. Uh, so this is how I started to put a foot uh, first into the uh, European Space Agency. And uh, I started to work there as a thermal engineer, so of course a, a trainee first, <laughs> uh, doing some cryo-cooler um, cryogenic modeling, mathematical modeling. So this is uh, how I started to, and then uh, 
Well, I quite liked it, so um, I decided to pursue a career uh, into this thermal engineering field, uh, and uh, here I am, still there after 10 years now even. Maybe you can discuss a little bit about after you graduated, when you when you started. So after my traineeship at the European Space Agency, I got awarded the one-year contract there to work uh, more, let's say, uh, experienced thermal engineer, at the beginning at least. So uh, this is uh, where I started to work on uh, designing some... Uh, thermal control system for uh, on-ground experiments at the, term, at the European Space Agency. On-ground experiments, they were going to Concordia in uh, Antarctica. Um, and then uh, after this one-year period, I uh, made a little bit of a turn uh, career-wise uh, by leaving the agency, uh, the European Space Agency, to go into uh, the industrial uh, side of the, of the job, which is uh, then Airbus uh, Defense in Space. This is the way it is known now uh, mm-hmm. in England. Uh, Stephen H. And um, they are work for one year and a half, also as thermal engineer designing mechanisms, uh, basically um, antenna deployment and rotating mechanism, pointing mechanisms. So it's pretty interesting uh, uh, bits of satellite. Mm-hmm. It's a bit small. We don't know it too much, but it's quite essential to get the performances, especially for telecom satellites. So, so I stayed there for one year and a half, and then um, I actually uh, get uh, a bit of a um, there's a homesickness uh, from the Netherlands, even though yes. I'm French. And I, decided, <laughs> I decided to leave uh, England uh, and go back to, to Holland at the European Space Agency here in, uh, in, in, in Nordwijk in the uh, Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, since then I started uh, working uh, as a thermal engineer, taking care mainly of the uh, Earth observation satellites, well, some of them, not all of them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is how it happened. What is it about thermal engineering that you enjoy? Thermal engineering is um, is always one of the last thing that people will think about on the satellite because it's uh, it's first of all the thermal engineering system is rather cheap. You know, I was comparing some uh, data the other day over the specific project where um, the project overall is six hundred millions euros, where the design and thermal hardware uh, procurement of uh, of the thermal system is only 2.5 million. So the, the, the proportion of it is very, 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 very small. So this is why people tend to think that uh, it would be the last thing to be, uh, to, be, uh, to be considered. But somehow, nothing works if it's not at the right temperature. Mm-hmm. So it has to, the thermal engineering and thermal control system has to interface with basically all the other subsystems. It has to interface with electricity because we need power to try to warm up the satellite. Mm-hmm. So we need to limit our, our, our energy. We need to make sure that the structure, uh, inte- the, the structure integrity is uh, guaranteed by the temperatures uh, as well, so there is not too much gradients. We need to make sure that uh, the, the, the electronic uh, components, the, the computers, are working as well at the right temperature. So in the end, you are just interfacing with all the subsystem in order to make them work. So you, you, I would say that the thermal control system, the thermal engineer, should be very discreet in the project mm-hmm. <laughs> because. <laughs> People don't want to hear any problem on thermal. So the, the, the more invisible you are, the better you are as a thermal engineer. It's because <laughs> you are like already anticipating all the problems that happen. So it doesn't come back to the other subsystems. Yeah, so this is the way it happens. So I like this kind of interactions with all our subsystems. Uh, it's not so specific like um, I don't know, solar arrays where people are really focused on, the, on, on the, this on bit. one particular yeah. thing. You need to know a bit about all the other systems in that you need to understand how thermal differences can affect those systems so do you find 
that you're also looking into the the, the, the the way other systems work? Have you got a general knowledge of, of satellite systems in that way? Yeah, I think I think I think uh, terminal engineers, generally speaking, are, are um, while they grew a little bit more into their job, and if they of course, there are some terminal engineers which stay very focused on what they, they want to do and do some technology development. But if you are starting to work on a project, then you, you are interfacing so much with so different systems that you need to know how they do work and how they affect you and how you will affect them as well. So, obviously, for example, the uh, attitude and orbit control of a, of a satellite, the, what we call an AOCS uh, system, is fundamentally in, impacting the way the satellite will behave, thermally speaking. So you have to understand all the orbit, all the attitude, all the, the movement that the satellite will do and why they will do that and how you could prevent it. So, yes, you really need to get uh, interested in it to, 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 to have a full picture of your, um, of your thermal design because, you know, it can go to the little bits of the thermistor that is taking up the temperature and how it's actually built because if it's not built the right way that you want, there are going to be a bias in the measurements. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have the right information and you cannot control anything anymore. So, But thermal engineers, I think, in general, could be very good system engineers uh, in, in, in the future because of this right wide approach and the multidisciplinary approach, sorry. Mm -hmm. when, you, when, you come up against, when you come up against issues in design, is there flexibility in the way that you can manipulate your thermal design to resolve certain issues? Or is every project requiring a different perspective? Yeah, I think... Uh, when problems um, arise uh, on a thermal point of view, what you have to know is that uh, thermal engineers work with very limited uh, set of different pieces of hardware. Okay, Basically, you have the temperature sensors, you have four to five different ones. You have uh, heaters, will warm up uh, your, 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 your items. There is like two to three different ones uh, type. Of course, you can adapt the resistance and whatever the power that they give. But and then there is like painting to change the um, thermo-optical properties of the of, of, of the uh, substrate. And then there is blankets, insulation. So these are the only four things that we can work on to try to, to solve problems. At the same time, each satellite is completely different. First of all, at least at the European Space Agency, because of course they are always unique satellites. Huh? These are, uh, the programs are always different from each other. So basically, we have only this limited uh, set of uh, hardware to implement into the system. And with this, we have to make a combination to be able to solve the specific problem of the spacecraft itself. Okay, So there is no uh, huge uh, revolutionary uh, technology uh, implementation to bring to a satellite. There is more trying to accommodate, try to understand the needs of the satellite and try to accommodate uh, the hardware that you have available for you into it to be able to, to, to make it work. So this is the way the, the, so, uh, the troubleshooting works in, 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 uh, in, uh, in thermal engineering. But for example, lately, the, one of the most common problem is basically the, the, the available power in a satellite, okay? Mm -hmm. And then at the, at the very beginning, when you launch your satellite, your solar array is not deployed, so you don't generate any electricity, right? So basically, you get only the batteries giving you power. So even though most of the payloads and most of the uh, electronic equipments are actually turned off and do not uh, draw electricity from the battery you still need to keep it at a certain level of temperature because otherwise it's gonna it's gonna die basically the, the electronics so you need to draw a lot of electricity from there and then all this phase is greatly influenced by the size of your battery 
by the way your thermal design is being uh, optimized to limit the, 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 the energy that you need and also by the attitude of your satellite because of course if one face is facing space and the other face is facing sun uh, there will be a difference and then we, we need to be smart into what we do here so these are all these um, when the thermal problem arrives we have to anyway talk to other subsystem but we also have to 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 to, to find the solutions ourselves into um, the accommodation of this five different uh, solutions basically do you find that the the space environment can provide you difficult challenges in terms of maintaining a constant temperature i think one of the um, good thing about the space environment on a thermal point of view is that it's very well characterized we really know what happens unlike on ground when on the ground when you start to have air and convection <laughs> it starts to be a little bit uh, let's say more tricky yeah. to actually determine what is going to be your um, heat exchanges with the environment. In space, it's easy. You have radiation to space, you have the conduction between bits, and then you have all this, what the sun is giving you in terms of energy. All right? So this we know. So this being said, we know that, as I said before, when you are illuminated on one side by the sun and then on the other side you see deep space, there's going to be a big gradient. So I think on a, on a, on a massive satellite, um, of, uh, I don't know, let's say four ton, uh, five meters high, trying to achieve a homogeneous temperature of, uh, let's say, 20 degrees, for example, is, is, not, is not realistic in terms of power consumption and needs. You know, it's going to be way too much. And on top of that, there is no real need for it. You know, if you have a non-board computer that works at minus 10 degrees that has been qualified to be working at minus 10 degrees, why would you bring it at 20? You can bring it at minus uh, five or zero degrees and it will still work, you know, because you have tested it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there is no real need to be at a homogeneous temperature. However, this is for the platform, let's say, you know, for the avionics, but we have to remind, we have to remember that satellites are carrying payloads and most of the time payloads are involving optics, telescopes, whatsoever, for which the alignment of the optical lenses and the detectors is crucial mm -hmm. to have a, a a good accuracy of what measurements we are doing. And then since most of the items are actually integrated and manufactured on ground at 20 degrees, let's say, it means that it's all aligned based at 20 degrees. Mm. So if you start to go at 10 degrees, you will have a deformation, mm. thermoelastic deformation, right? Course, yeah. So in these particular cases, you would be really willing to leave it at 20 degrees all the time. But, okay, you know, thing is that you, you need an artificial source uh, uh, source uh, of heat, let's say, and this source of heat is only localized anyway. So it means that on a long tube, long telescope, for example, a long baffle for the telescope, right? If you warm up the top part, but not the bottom part, then you will start to have gradients in your telescope uh, baffle, and mm. then it will start to bend. Mm. And then you lose also your accuracy. So it's sort of fine balance between um, what are the actual um, um, pointing needs, I would say it like this, uh, on ground for the instruments. And uh, what, what what can be done? Because of course, uh, when you start to do something on a on a on a on, a, on an item, you actually change its behavior, and then it tends to react in a in not always the expected way. Mm. Uh, very interesting stuff, and real eye opener for people to get an understanding of a position like yours, because it's not something that a lot of people would think about. You know, they might not think about the thermal engineer. I mean, that that expertise is a is something that's really important. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you found the the differences between the environments, growing up in France, then moving to an international environment. Well, I mean, uh, the 
the biggest challenging uh, challenges. Well, first of all, I, I actually had the first experience abroad uh, in Toronto, in Canada, uh, for my last year of uh, master uh, master's degree in engineering. So this is where I, I, I had the first experience on uh, on the foreign uh, environment, let's say. Um, I, I don't know. You know, there's been. It has been what, it has been like thirteen years that I left France, so you know I <laughs> I tend to be really uh, um, accustomed to the fact that I'm not in France anymore. But uh, at the time, it all came to the fact that okay, it was France I was studying here. I was a bit fed up of, of my own country and the way things were going, so I tried to uh, get something new. So I went to Canada. I really liked it for one year of that over there. It's a bit too far from Europe, I have to admit, so that's why I <laughs> not pursue the experience there. But then I came back into the Netherlands, and in the Netherlands, somehow, um, I felt at home almost instantaneously, you know? Mm. Very weird, even though I still, after 10 years, do not speak the language. <laughs> still don't speak Dutch. Yeah, I still do not speak Dutch. <laughs> But people are kind enough and educated enough to speak English to me, so they are very nice. Uh, I really felt at home. People are welcoming. They are nice. They are easygoing. You know, when the Netherlands, uh, it's it's a, it's quite of a northern country where it's uh, continuously raining and having grey skies. But as soon as the sun goes out, this country springs to life. So so in the Netherlands, I really um, really felt at home right away. But also at the European Space Agency, one of the beauty of it. Is that is a total uh, multicultural uh, environment because, as its name says, there is all the European citizenship represented yeah. there. So all the people are expatriates, in fact. So all the people are seeking for new acquaintances mm -hmm. and um, uh, contacts and connections. So it's much easier to get into life. So. You're listening to Western Worlds. Let's go to the discussion. Well, that was an interesting conversation with uh, Sylvan. What, a bit, what do you think about uh, um, our thermal engineer friend? It was, okay, it was, first of all, it was, you know, strange. I had not thought about, like, thermal engineer as, like, an engineer <laughs> well like I mean you know you know like someone works on heat shield and like thinks about that but like you know the you don't an actual specific role right? exactly done by a single person yeah exactly. yeah so that was something um, new which even though like I mean in this field like I had not heard about it so um, yeah it's interesting you know how physics and like engineering and all those things come into play together and you know space is literally <laughs> amongst all possible you know um sciences engineering i guess social sciences everything mixed mm. together yeah um everything is required when you are talking about space it's like earth you know yeah exactly and uh I mean, I, I was very interested when he started talking a little bit about um, uh, the different considerations he has to make when he's designing a system mm -hmm. and how the temperature of the components, like keeping that at a uh, uniform uh, level is uh, really important no matter what spacecraft you're working on. From. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm like, it, it's really interesting to see like how, I mean... I'm thinking about like a little bit in future, but like if you're looking to go on different planets, how like their atmosphere and their gravity and things like that would 
need to be considered when you're building those things. Like, for example, if you're trying to land on Venus, it's really hot there already. Exactly. So you got to think about material that will probably not melt with the heat of the surroundings as well as the internal heat generated due to the system. Um, and, and also then, the drastic change that you get. So the change you get, say, not necessarily just in, when you're in the in the atmosphere of a planet but uh, when you move from say a place that's shadowed from the sun to a place that's in sunlight you know and all, you know if you're if you're any distance up to sort of earth or mars then that's just instantaneously a massive temperature change yeah i mean especially thinking about mercury like uh, mm, yes, you know like when Becky colombo that's going to mercury exactly right yeah and even like just the discovery of ice people never thought you know like you would find that in on mercury because it's so hot close, yes, to, the so close to the sun um but there is still cold places on that place so then yeah. you know if you're sending something to land over there you would have to think about where you're going to land what kind of material you're going to need and like the physics and the engineering of of that of that so it's it's something that no one would think about you know someone you need a system that even just making something that enters back to the earth's atmosphere after going to ISS even though ISS isn't that far <laughs> um you still need something um that's you know engineered for that special yeah. task and, and, and having the components organized in such a fashion as to be most efficient and of course um, we're still not really in a situation where we're creating um, uh, like satellites on the assembly line so every satellite that we make is kind of a unique device yeah. in every yeah. single way so for every single project that design that has to change and that configuration therefore might change yeah and the materials used might change and so that's um, it's a difficult thing to really um, to, to try and to try and spin all those plays mm -hmm. together yeah one of the other examples that I can really think of where I'm assuming and thermal engineer would be required was something when you're talking about Juno um, you know, just the radiation from, like, forget the sun. Yeah. <laughs> this far away from the sun, you don't have to worry about it. But then you have the radiation from Jupiter that you have to worry about. So then you want to make sure your instruments are not fried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <right laughs> so you have to, you know, you have to use the material that would survive enough radiation, but then also allow the instruments to work. Yes. Um, and provide us with enough data. So that's kind of a very complex technical thing someone has to think about and I guess a thermal engineer is a position for that. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. That's our show for this week. Western Worlds is a production of the Centre for Planetary Science and Exploration. This episode was produced by John Kissy and Parshi Patel and featured an interview by co-host John Kissy. Our roundtable discussion featured co-host John Kissy and our editors were John Kissy and Parshti Patel. I'm John Kissy. Our theme music is Heliosheath by Sean Kim. You can continue the conversation online and listen to past episodes or learn more about Western Worlds by visiting our website at cpsx.uwa.ca. You can also visit our pages on Twitter and Facebook. 
On behalf of everybody here at Western Worlds, I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you can join us again next time right here on Western Worlds. Thank you.